0: you know, if you feel really strongly, you could just go get some carrots and start handing them out to random people. See who accepts (laughs) them. Just say Mm. more fruits and vegetables. This is for you.
1: Hello, and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast where we discuss um, problematic, often problematic concepts within the wellness industry at uh, as an attempt to find some middle ground. And particular, today's conversation is really going to be all about uh, examining both sides and looking at what the middle might look like. So I am Annika Buckle. I have a degree in political science and women's
2: studies. I am Jenny Omani. I am a registered nurse and a
0: business owner. And I am Lee Freiling. I'm currently doing my master's degree in counseling psychology, and I also am a business owner.
1: All right. So today um, we're going to bat around a concept that I spent the weekend Googling to make sure, but I think I made it up. I think I'm going to take credit for this. And if this is not mine, somebody else can absolutely chime in and tell me that it's not. But um, this is something that we all have been talking about for a couple of weeks, which is the idea of prescriptive privilege. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the idea that so many of what seems like really simple trends or health initiatives are just inherently easy and quote unquote should be easy for many people. But in reality, a lot of this is just steeped in often invisible privilege, like eating healthy or even simple exercising when it comes where it becomes especially hard is where people are left feeling guilt or overwhelm or the crushing weight of feeling like they're poisoning themselves or their kids or even their pets when they can't do all the things right, whatever right is. Uh Uh-huh. I'm so here for this conversation. This This is is very timely for me right now. Yep. Totally. And I think, you know, this kind of came up for the three of us as we were chatting. um, And I know that I'm sure I'd love to hear from both of you around this, but I'm sure that you, this will be a parallel conversation for you. But my own examination of this really started around COVID because I heard it again and again from so many in the wellness industry, things like, why isn't the government mandating eating more vegetables? Why isn't the government mandating exercising and spending time in nature rubbed me the wrong way. But to be totally honest, I was so steeped in my own privilege. I couldn't figure out why at first. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely been guilty of this in the past. I absolutely still catch myself, you know, doing it even just inside my brain because I'm unlearning and I'm human. And I want Mm -hmm. to live in a world where it can be that easy, where it is such a simple solution. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm.
0: I am also someone with immense privilege. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a really, eh, I'm so happy we're talking about this. It is a really challenging thing because on, on its face value, you know, certain things that have to do with generally, you know, generally sort of assume you know, things that are good for our health, spending time in nature, moving your body, eating more fruits and vegetables, eating a little bit less, you know, processed or fast food, um, getting eight hours of sleep, drinking X glasses of water per day, according to whatever, whatever prescribed Not Rachel Hollis, right. Whatever prescribed. Not your half your body weight. Yeah.
2: Right. Formula of how much <laughs> you should
0: drink today, but like, you know, and all of these things are good and all of these things are helpful. Is it helpful to spend time in nature? Totally. Is it helpful to like drink water instead of like, I don't know, pop totally for sure. Is it a good idea to eat a salad? Sure. For most people, most of the time, the challenge lies in what it takes to be able to access those things. So when we're talking about uh, prescribed um, or prescriptive privilege, we're talking about the um, uh, either, I mean, it's either like chosen or actual ignorance around what it actually takes to be able to access those things, right? So for example, I went for a walk this morning in nature and it was great. And now my legs are tired, but how is it that I got to do that? I got to do that because A, I live in a forest, right? So if I lived in the middle of a city, that would be a different story. B. My kids are old enough that they more or less get themselves ready for school. And C, my husband is the person who drives them to school because D, he works on our property and he has lots of flexibility over his schedule, right? So right there, just around something as simple as this good wellness thing that I did for myself this morning, which is going for a walk. There was four layers. I mean, just off the top of my head, let alone a whole bunch of other ones. Um, of privilege that allowed for that thing to happen. So if I was someone who lived in like an inner city place or who was maybe working two or three jobs or who had little kids and I was the person who I had to be responsible, like I can tell you, I was not going for walks when my kids were like three and five, right? Um, That probably wouldn't have come to pass. Now it's okay when someone sort of says like, You know, oh well, I can't do it because I, you know, have all this stuff. And people go, oh, you're totally right. Okay, well, let's figure something else for out for you. The problem comes with the judgment around why aren't you spending more time in nature? You know, it's so, and I, I just looked it up because I wanted
2: to give credit to the appropriate people here. Um, and I, I feel like we sort of stemmed, and Annika came up with that prescriptive privilege thing off of when I was telling you about a podcast I listened to. I think this maybe is where it came from. And the, so the podcast is called, um, wellness fact versus fiction. And it's hosted by, mm-hmm. um, Danielle, uh, Bilardo, who's a cardiologist in California, mm-hmm. but one of her guests was, um, an OBGYN in New York, I believe at an inner city hospital. And her name is Heather Irobunda, And she was saying, you know, um, and what they were, the dialogue they were having is as a cardiologist, you know, Danielle says, Hey, you, like you, exercise is really important. And in her mind, when she was doing her fellowship, she was like, thought she was being really whole, uh, like inclusive by staying. And that looks like going for a walk. It doesn't look like having a fancy gym membership, like in her brain as a privileged white person, she was like, thought she was bringing it to a level that was accessible for everybody. But then what she realized when she was at, I can't remember which hospital in not a nice area doing her fellowship. She realized that people couldn't safely walk in their neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly. it's not like they could go for a walk no. because they were worried they'd get shot. Mm-hmm. And then this other physician was saying, Oh, it's even worse. Like in the Bronx, they have this motorway that goes through, I guess, like the highway. I'm not familiar with New York at all. So I might be butchering the geography here, but there's essentially like a highway thoroughfare that goes through, right through the Bronx. That's where all the heavy, machinery, all the farming equipment, like all the semis go. And the air quality is so bad that they have like a, like a higher rate of asthma and other Mm -hmm. forms of respiratory chronic respiratory illness in that area. So even, and it's also not safe to walk in. So not only is it not safe to walk in from like a physical standpoint, but medically it's also, um, Oh, I see something from Annika here. I just sent you a picture of
1: exactly what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) Okay, so I'll describe this photo here. So, internet stranger, taking a walk to help with depression. Where they live, and it's like this. It's basically like the Swiss Alps, (laughs) and it's like green and beautiful. And there's this rolling hills, rolling mountains. It says where I live, and it's like yeah, it's like a very typical sort of American or North American. It could really be anywhere. Uh, It's in the states, just based on the companies, but thoroughfare and it's you know like six lanes of traffic and yeah mm-hmm. so it just from an air quality perspective as well as a personal safety perspective something as easy as going for a walk it like actually might not be feasible
0: no the, the other aspect to talk about is the fact that there are people who can't go for walks because yeah. they physically can't They physically can't walk yeah so i am like 2 months deep on recovering from A really, really bad twisted ankle that I did, you know, right after my birthday, when I was diagnosed with COVID and then was walking on a flat path with my kids and basically tore all the soft tissue in my whole ankle. It was a real, real cool moment. So I did that. And then two weeks ago, I dropped a rock on my baby toe on my other foot. And so I have a deep bone bruise on my other foot. So I Like, that's probably, I usually go for walks all the time. It's my favorite way to get movement in. And I literally haven't been able to, (laughs) you know, for the better part of two months. Like I've probably gone for a handful of short walks. um, But I just have to be really careful because I I did like extensive damage to my foot. Now this is an injury and I'm going to get better from it. Mm -hmm. But what about people for whom like, are physically need assistance. disabled yeah We yeah, need, need assistance. assistance to get outside yeah exactly um i also developed um so a little bit of a background here i was like a super athletic super fit person i was a varsity athlete in high school and in university um my husband is a crazy natural athlete uh, most of our friends are and 8 years ago i developed chronic vertigo like out of the blue one morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden my world started to swirl and more or less hasn't totally stopped ever since. And it has really, really restricted not only the kind of movement that I I can involve my body in, but how much and then how much rest I need. And this is a hard thing because I look like a normal person who should be able to do all the things right? I don't, I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not on crutches. Um, but I have a chronic, um, basically neurological injury, (laughs) um, that very much affects my ability to do the things just this past weekend, we went camping with a whole bunch of friends and everybody there like goes for two hour, hour hikes, everyone mountain bikes, everyone is doing all this stuff. And here I am like nursing these poor two feet. And I'm also in the middle of a bit of a flare up. So like, There's all kinds of stuff that is really triggering my vertigo on top of just the fact that my vestibular bandwidth is just really restricted compared to how it normally is. Hmm. And I will tell you, it was really hard. It was really hard to hang with everybody who's like just coming back from their three hour bike ride or just coming off of their like, you know, 10 kilometer hike in the forest in the woods. And I'm just still sitting there reading my book because that is what I can do. Right. And I could, to a certain extent, and I mean, probably this is a little bit my own projection because I have to deal with this for myself, but, you know, feel the judgment around like, "Hmm, just sitting there, Haley, just sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I am because I refuse to blow my ankle out more. (sighs) It's really tricky. The whole thing is really tricky.
1: Well, and I think you make such a good point around that judgment and like, yes, of course, like we all have to work on ourselves and our own internal judgment and yada, yada, yada. But the reality is, I think, especially for someone, I have a girlfriend who has MS and Mm -hmm. she presents like Mm -hmm. somebody who Mm -hmm. is totally healthy Mm -hmm. and then gets like a nasty note on her car when she parks in the um, accessible spot closest to the door with her permit because she looks fine Yep, when she's really not, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really easy. I think, you know, a lot of times our, our, um, you know privilege around ability and movement is like oh that person it's like you get a free pass if you look like you can't exercise Mm -hmm. but if you look fine then you know you better figure out a way to figure it out because otherwise you're lazy and again I think so much of this is this internalized capitalism Mm -hmm. because if you're not doing moving constantly producing then there's no value
0: well and also internalized capitalism scarcity that said internalized capitalism promotes, right? So if you aren't doing your part to stay capital H healthy, then that means at some point you are going to be taking healthcare resources away from me and mine. Mm -hmm. right? And so if you aren't doing your part by (laughs) parking on the other side of the Parking taking the stairs instead of the elevator. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. I have a great story about that. So I used to travel a ton for work, like probably a month out of or a week out of every month. And because of where I live, every single flight I take is at least two flights because Mm -hmm. I live in a small area. And so I'd have to take my little regional airport to a, a bigger airport and then go from there. So that means I'm always running through airports and I'm always dragging my carry on with me. And because half the time I would try to not check a bag, my carry-on, because they don't really weigh your carry-on stuff, (laughs) would weigh like a million zillion pounds, right? So here I am with all my stuff, trying to get through the airport, always, you know, the Canadian terminal ends up on the other end of the American or international terminal. Always. Always. So I'm (laughs) schlepping like kilometers through, right? So I I remember at one point going through an airport with all these very fit wellness industry type people, and it came up to the stairs and the escalator are right beside each other, right? As
1: as, uh, airports love to do that. I feel like, yeah. Right.
0: And so uh, the virtue signaling around everyone Mm. who just like puts their you know, rolly cart handle down so they can pick up their suitcase and they start huffing up the staircase. And they looked at me who's very much on the escalator. Now I'm on the escalator for a lot of reasons. One, when I'm traveling, my vertigo really gets worked and I have to conserve energy wherever I can. The end of story, period, the end. And two, because of my vertigo, my balance is not great At managing stairs and carrying heavy things at the same time. And the likelihood of me stumbling or falling or dropping my bag is increased. Right. Again, I look like a healthy person and the looks I would get. And some of these people even know about my vertigo, Mm. but the looks I would get. And I'm just like, this is none of your goddamn business. Maybe I didn't sleep well last night. Right. Maybe my knee hurts.
2: Maybe Maybe I have my period, maybe my carry on weighs as much as I do.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Maybe there's just something up
2: here and maybe it doesn't matter, but you picked the escalator. So shut up and I'll see you at the top. Totally.
0: And like, but I think, I think, and I think that this is an important part to sort of dig into, right? Where within this conversation around wellness, have we been given the inherent permission to project and judge what someone else is doing mm-hmm. with their body and their life, especially right? when the
2: predominant narrative seems to be very much individualistic, right? Right. So it's yeah. like, how can you not? Ref- it's it's this lack of, um, I guess, insight. Is it? It's like it's do as I say, thing, right? Thing, right? not as I like, do. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: It, and it's really, it's a really hard thing to sort of process except for when you start to consider the judgment that they must be placing on themselves totally around all of this well I mean to Annika's sort of statement at the beginning
2: about why isn't the government mandating fruits and vegetables why isn't the government mandating health and exercise and the whole you know if you're not healthy all the resources but I mean do we want to talk about all the resources that were pooled into very sick unvaccinated people with preventable COVID? Cause it's a lot. I don't know what the cost well, is in the States, but at my hospital, it is $10,000 a day for a bed in the ICU. If you have no diagnostics done and I guarantee you, you have diagnostics done every day. So that means no blood work, you no x-rays. <laughs> oh yeah. You're no, that means no blood work, no x-rays, like nothing. That's what it costs right. for you to physically take up a space. And if you had COVID, you required a lot of extra equipment.
0: Yeah. I think, I think part of that conversation around mandating fruits and vegetables and and all this kind of stuff, I think is, um, to a certain extent, just some willful ignorance around like, how do we, okay. Okay. If you want to mandate fruits and vegetables and you look at, this is something that's been looked at a lot, right? The cost per calorie between Mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables and a lot of processed foods, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: is usually significant, right? As in like, you're going to get literally more calories for your dollar with mm-hmm. packaged X, Y, Z. Also generally speaking, people who, um, maybe are working a lot and they don't have time to cook for themselves and they mm-hmm. need to like open a package and like put it in their body. Yeah. Cause that is the amount of time they have in order to fuel themselves. Right. That's, that's their reality. So if we want to do more fruits and vegetables, I mean, cool. Like I, I love fruits and vegetables. I think they're great. Now I'm also lucky that I like them. I know people who hate them. So there's Mm -hmm. that level of things. Um, but a, how are we going to make sure that these communities, everyone has equal access to fruits and vegetables B what is fruits and vegetables? Are we talking about everyone gets an apple every day, a Uh tomato every day, three stalks of celery and a carrot? Like what, like, what are we doing here? Right? So like, what does that access look like? Okay. Next, where are we going to be able to tra- how do we transport these things? You know, for example, communities up north, you know, fresh oh, yeah. fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables cost an actual arm and a leg. Oh, food in general there costs there an arm and a leg up north. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I, yeah.
1: I it's really I find this really interesting. So, um kind of two concepts that I was reading a lot about last week. One is the idea of a food desert which I know Mm -hmm. both of you have heard of, but if you haven't heard of this term, um, it's just an urban area where it's difficult to buy affordable or good quality, fresh food. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually, there, there was a really interesting article, um, that there's kind of a push in some areas to change the language to being food swamp rather than food desert, Mm. because often, and I think they see this in the U S in Canada, we have a bit of a different issue that I'll talk about in a second, kind of what you're touching on there, but um, it's not that there is no food it's that there is an abundance of processed food rather than fresh food yeah right in canada i would argue we have actual food deserts like in the north where getting yeah. any food at all is expensive and difficult yeah. um never mind fresh never mind you know whatever somebody wants to consider a fruit and or a vegetable mm-hmm. um but again i think this is where it comes down to access right i mm-hmm. mean even like let's talk about food banks let's talk about what yeah. you get for food if you're you know if you go to a food bank food banks have been completely overwhelmed since 2020 um fun fact march 2021 alone 1.3 million canadians accessed a food bank mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. and the, with the current rate of inflation i guarantee those numbers are only going to get bigger yeah. and bigger
0: Mm -hmm. here's the thing
1: about relying either in part or in full on food banks as your primary source of food you know yes some people are able to have that as a supplement but if that's your primary source of food the foods that are the most shelf stable are the foods that are processed the foods Mm -hmm. that most people donate are
2: the foods that are processed Mm -hmm. that's why if you can donate to the food bank Um, donate money because money actually goes hugely very, very far. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the same in the States, but I know the Canadian food bank structure, um, they can do, they can really stretch it's um, three, three to one. So they get $3
1: for $1 and then they can also buy what they need. Like sometimes it's diapers. Sometimes it's formula, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. As someone who, as a kid lived in a family that accessed food banks, I can tell you that we would get a lot of box cereal, canned soup, um, box pasta. Um, you would get like, you know, sometimes you get some cheese. And if it was cheese, it was usually like, you know, craft singles type of cheese, right? Because again, that's least likely to go off. Mm-hmm. Um, we would get um, hampers at Thanksgiving and at Christmas time. And at those times, then you would probably get like, a thing of potatoes, the thing of onions, um, maybe some sweet potatoes, maybe some squash, but again, these are like, again, root vegetables that generally mm-hmm. speaking can live on a shelf for like, you know, a good couple months. So that makes sense. Um, w- Lance and I, uh, volunteered recently. well, not super recently before the, before, before COVID, but, uh, for an organization, um, called starfish backpacks that would fill, um, backpacks full of food, for the families of kids who were being basically fed exclusively through breakfast and lunch programs in schools mm-hmm. because they recognize that these kids were getting fed during the week, which is great. But then they go home over on the weekend and there's no food mm-hmm. in their house. When and they were also, being fed during school hours. Exactly. They're being, yeah. right. They're being fed <laughs> during school hours by the school. Yeah. And then they would go home and have no food for the weekend. And so we would pack these backpacks full of, like two dinners, two breakfasts, two lunches for the kid and their family for the weekend. And generally speaking, you know, we were, uh, the big endeavor was to put an apple and an orange per person Mm -hmm. in the backpack for the weekend. Hmm. So an apple or an orange Mm
1: -hmm.
0: for the weekend per person in the backpack. Why it's perishable. Right. And That's hard. So the conversation around food and access to food, if you are lucky enough to feel like, well, I just don't understand why that person just doesn't eat more fruits and vegetables. I would really encourage you to go, I don't know, maybe volunteer at a at a soup kitchen or at the Salvation Army. I used to take the girls that I coached um, to the soup kitchen quite regularly in the downtown east side. And the thing that I thought was the most eye-opening for me and also for my, um, my students, they would go with this presupposition that we were going to be feeding a whole lot of homeless people. Hmm. Uh, you know, the downtown East side in Vancouver is well known to have the highest, I believe the highest density of homelessness, drug addiction, prostitution, street crime, blah, 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 mental health. Um, in North America. So they thought that they were going to be, you know, feeding all these like really affected individuals, but you want to know who actually came to eat at this soup kitchen. There's a lot of people. Yeah. There was a lot of grandmas. There's a lot of grandpas. And there was a lot of people who are just underemployed. Mm -hmm. And so they have jobs, they have a house or a a place to live. Mm -hmm. They're not on the street, but they can't afford a place to sleep safely and also a hot meat
1: oh, and yes. also
0: eat. Right. And the food that we would serve was amazing food. Like it was really good. And I yeah. was like, dang, that looks delicious. Like it was really, it was really yummy and lots of fresh stuff and fresh baked things. And it was great. But the idea of who it is that couldn't access that mm-hmm. was actually in a sense, more dire than just this idea of the only person who needs to access a soup kitchen is someone who lives on the street. No, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Well, and I think a lot of that, again, like we were talking about with um, accessibility physically, I think a lot of that just goes invisible. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to stand up and like make their Facebook status like I couldn't afford to feed my kids this week. Not at but all. The reality is that is happening far, far more than I think any, any of us sitting in a place of privilege could possibly know or get our heads Mm -hmm. around.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, because there's so much stigma that people aren't open about it necessarily. Uh Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I
0: think the greatest thing that people are, uh, maybe are, are not acknowledging is just the amount of time privilege Mm
2: -hmm. that it takes
0: to be able to have a quote unquote wellness Routine or aspect of your life, right? It takes time to be able to sit down and meal plan so that you know Mm -hmm. that you're eating whatever the rainbow every day, so to speak. Okay. It takes time to be able to go and grocery shop and pick the nice things. It takes a car to be Mm -hmm. able to drive to said grocery store, generally speaking, at least where I live, uh, in order to get all your groceries for the week. It takes time to work out. It takes time to have a shower every day because you've worked out every day, right? Like there's a big part of this that is a very time intensive aspect of things. And if you are a single parent, if you have got a lot of kids, if you've got more than one job, or maybe you're just overwhelmed Mm -hmm. in general with, I don't know, the fact that the world's coming apart at the seams, like there comes a point where Sure. Maybe your legs work and maybe you even have the money to be able to do this, but do you have the bandwidth, bandwidth, the mental yeah. capacity to be able to do it? Right. And then that's entirely compounded when you don't do it and then shamed for it. Right. Well, why didn't you just mm-hmm. do this? Well, you should just do this. Well, you should just, you know, just lose, just lose weight. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, okay. So, <laughs> so I, I want to, I kind of want to lead off of
1: that a little bit and I want to play devil's advocate for a minute. So Mm. this, I've kind of heard this in reply. So like what of the people who are, you know, quote unquote, selling this, selling this healthy lifestyle. And literally sometimes actually, actually like actually (laughs) selling it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Are just targeting other people with privilege. Right. We've Mm -hmm. said before, not everything has to be for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Like people are allowed to have demographics that they're targeting. Um, So what of that? What of that reply? What of the, well, this isn't, this doesn't have to be for everybody. If you're uh, accessing food banks, you know, don't worry about it. Just you do you boo.
2: Well, I mean, I I would like to reply with the, if you're also saying the government should mandate X, Y, and Z, (laughs) and then that's your reply. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. I think sometimes you can't even reply to these arguments. I'm using air quotes because there's just such a lack of insight usually unintentionally.
0: And I think, I mean, to sort of further that point. Okay. So let's say that I'm someone who is selling X wellness, X, Y, Z. And I explicitly say, this is an expensive product. This is really only accessible to someone who's got extra money, extra time, extra bandwidth is that good marketing? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: mean, I guess it depends. Maybe somebody's really interested in like the cachet of something exclusive. Right.
0: I mean, to be fair, there is, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a market for the, the ultra, you know, I mean, high fashion has been living in that space forever and ever. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that it becomes really difficult. And I think, I think the challenge here is that when you start pointing out, that X wellness, X, Y, Z that you think is like the best thing for you, but is really only accessible for whatever, whatever person you start to I think anybody is going to start to go like, Ooh, (laughs) like, (laughs) Ooh, what I'm saying, what I'm really saying is that health and wellness is really only for those with privilege, time, money, Mm -hmm. access, and an able body. And if you don't have those things,
2: Yeah. Then that wellness isn't for you. Wellness isn't for you. Well, and I think the way I see that phrased a lot is it's, it's, I, I, or, you know, these coaches, wellness salespeople, you know, I help people do X, Y, and Z. If you're ready to prioritize that it's this whole Mm -hmm. concept of, well, if it's a priority, you'll do it, which isn't untrue in some places. Like it, that whole thing. If you have privilege, you do have the option to prioritize. And you know, the argument will be Oh, like, oh, when you say you don't have time for something and it's like, well, you didn't have time to pay a speeding ticket, but guess what? You sure found a way to like get your ass on the computer. Yeah. And sure. But I don't think that's a comparable to, you can't prioritize no matter how badly you want certain things. You just, even if you would like to prioritize it, it's not going to be feasible for everybody to prioritize well, without and I, the needs to do so.
0: I know. And I think, I think my biggest challenge with the It's not a priority thing. And I agree with you. There are circumstances where it's like, you know, okay. You do just need to choose differently. I mean, that was me this morning, right. I had a rough weekend, like, like mental health wise, I did not do great this weekend. And I know partially that is a compounding effect of really not doing a lot of movement over two months because I've been injured. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this morning I woke up and instead of like taking a slow morning. Like I normally do. I put on pants and I put on my shoes and I went for a walk. Okay. So, right. Because you
2: have privilege, which you've already called out and you Mm -hmm. had the privilege components there to make
0: it a priority. Exactly. So today I did that. Right. I think my greatest challenge with that is that it's inherently lacking in compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like this assumes that everyone's priorities should be the same this assumes Mm -hmm. that everyone should be prioritizing wellness, for example, or should be prioritizing their physical health. Right. I can tell you, there's been loads of times in my life where I did not prioritize my physical health because I was too fucking busy prioritizing my mental health and, or my business and, or my mothering and, or my baby and, or whatever it happened to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think The greatest challenge with that, well, it's just not a priority for you is it's kind of soulless to me. It just lacks that general capacity to understand that everyone's life is their life and what it is that they're doing in a day is the thing that they are prioritizing in that moment. Now, could there be a conversation around like, gently bringing in other aspects of things you know if you've got someone for for example there's a huge correlation between movement of any kind and an increase in positive um, variables in mental health right and and, and movement can be literally anything it can be swimming it can be running it can be walking it could be a you know whatever taekwondo class it could be whatever it is you want to do right and so if you have someone who's really struggling with depression and you can gently suggest to them is there a way for you to move your body for even 10 minutes a day with some sort of intentionality right is there a park nearby could you walk in the hallway of your <laughs> you know of your mm-hmm. building you know could you when you drop your kids off at school in the morning could you go walk around their track for like 10 minutes like is there some way that you can get a little bit of intentional movement into your day and if they can you know it, some studies have shown And I I only know this because I had to like research it for a project recently. Um, Some studies have shown that with some, you know, forms of um, uh, low to moderate um, depression, exercise can be just as effective as meds. And so, you know, if you can get someone to do that, then great. But the fact is, is that sometimes it's really fucking hard to get somebody to get moving Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they're really, really depressed. I was just going to say, yeah right? Like the trick is not to say, Oh, here's this novel idea. How about you move your body? Like, that's not a new idea. The idea is to actually support them in how to do that. So Mm -hmm. that's where it looks like community support, right? It looks Mm -hmm. like, do you have a friend who you could make like a three times a week date to just walk for half an hour around a track, right? Is that something Mm -hmm. that we could like work together to organize, because if you have a friend, then you might actually have someone who can help you move, right? Something along those lines. I think, I think the prioritization thing isn't wrong, but it's also really important with how it is that we communicate that Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't further compound someone's sense of shame or worthlessness, or, you know, I'm doing this wrong, um, because they actually just probably are already on the struggle bus to a certain extent yeah
2: it's the assumption that everybody's trying their best
0: right and right just that- you, it's a safe assumption mm-hmm. everybody's mm-hmm. trying their best with what they have totally exactly And i mean again i think this is where the whole thing gets you know kind of complex and nuanced and this is where the middle mm-hmm. part comes in does it mean we should never talk about fruits and vegetables and moving your body no no we should, we should yeah. talk about those things. that's that's a good idea right but I also think if we can have the compassion and the perspective of people are doing the best they can with what they have, right. Mm -hmm. Working within what they've got might be the thing that's most helpful for them, you know, and incremental change, you know, like a 2% change towards, you know, better sleep better movement, better fruits and vegetables, better water, except for it. If you know, you're in an indigenous community in Canada, because you don't really have a whole lot of chance there.
1: And this is just it, right? It's like, (sighs) you just turn on the tap. Well, actually for most of the world, that's not true. Even Mm -hmm. in Canada, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. even in Canada, you know, so at that point becomes more like, okay, so if we're really going to put our money where our mouth is, if you actually care about other people's wellness. Okay. Actually. Like, I really genuinely want people to live happier, healthier, more whole lives. What are you doing on a systemic level, on an Mm -hmm. institutional level, to be a part of that?
1: A hundred percent. I think this is where the whole conclusion that comes out of that is such a red herring, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, we, what, and actually, hold on. I have a direct quote that I wrote down. You know, what we hear again and again is like, oh, the government doesn't mandate because quote The government and big pharma can't benefit from a happy, healthy populace. They don't care about our health. That's just something they say while peddling the newest drug, end quote. Now we can dissect that in a minute, but (laughs) this, when this is the conclusion we come to, what it allows us to do is completely wash our hands of change. Mm -hmm, Oh, the government doesn't care about me. There's nothing we can do about that rather than actually how can we work within the system Mm -hmm. to create more access to fitness for low-income families, to Mm -hmm. get better food security for seniors, to... Mm -hmm create clean drinking water. It's, oh, there's no solution. But also
2: even being part of positive change can look like understanding barriers to access. It doesn't even, you don't have to put your money where your mouth is necessarily. You don't have to be this huge voice of change, having a whole lot of people just understanding. And you know what, I've seen this in healthcare in terms of uh, bias against um, for us here, primarily indigenous peoples. We don't have um, a huge black population in our area. I know in some areas there's a lot of bias that comes against black population here. We have a large indigenous population and there's a lot of bias that comes into place when we have indigenous people come in the hospital. And there's been such a huge amount of movement, um, within our healthcare system to really call out that and to have culturally, um, compassionate care, like really huge, like, and it's tangible. And we were actually chatting about this the other day at work at how our own personal biases from people that thought we didn't have them because we all Mm -hmm. do good grief has really shifted, you know, We picked up a guy yesterday in Emerge, and our first thought was like, Oh my God, this poor guy. Like literally the whole room just went, Oh my God, this poor guy. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you 10 years ago, I think it would have been like, Oh, versus, Holy cow, this is so horrible that this man is in this state. Right. And so I think that it's absolutely possible to have really big change
0: just by shifting perception Mm -hmm. and encouraging dialogue about it. Totally. I can tell you that in the program I'm in right now, there's a running thread through every course I take uh, examining our own cultural humility and cultural arrogance. Right. So obviously oh, I like culture- that term of ho- cultural arrogance. That's a right. big one. Yeah. So cultural humility, obviously just taking this posture of being humble when, when working with someone who is not of your same culture, right. As mm-hmm. a white lady, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is something I have to be like keenly keenly aware of and then also the cultural arrogance right these assumptions even just the assumption that i know better and why do i know better well i know better because on some level i know better because i'm like a white person and white Mm -hmm. people have been running the show for Mm -hmm. a long time in north america right so this is something that you know as someone who's taking their master's degree in counseling psychology this is a big part of the conversation is just if you have someone in front of you who is not of your same culture. And I think, I mean, I think at this point, culture encompasses not just, you know, like your heritage or, you know, what sort of um, uh, uh, like race you, whatever, identify with, but also your, you know, the sexual um, nature of the culture you identify with, your gender, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and then same thing, ableism. Blah 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 blah. All this kind of stuff, and so it, it, for me, as someone who's thinking quite a lot around how it is that I'll hopefully be most helpful, you know, <laughs> unless I have someone in front of me who's like a white girl who grew up in the Ottawa Valley and who's also the same age as me and has two kids and who's married to somebody who's also like, you know, like, I'm probably not gonna make a lot of assumptions around like what their life is like until they actually just tell me. Yeah. And I just, you know, actually just ask all of those questions and, and leave the assumptions at the door.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's actually easier to ask questions and just listen, than make assumptions.
1: (laughs) It's like, what's your experience? What do you actually need rather (laughs) than, you know, we should be mandating that you eat three vegetables. Like actually what I really need is affordable childcare. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What I actually need is clean water, right? Like what are the things that these, yeah.
0: What I actually need is housing that I could possibly afford ever at any point. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think this idea of prescriptive privilege is something that's a really important um, thing to talk about. I think it's um, I love what Jenny said, even just having the awareness and being able to work from having that awareness is, is a huge thing that requires no money and not a lot of time, it does require some humility and some compassion, which for some people doesn't, that, that feels dangerous. It feels too vulnerable for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, you know, a hundred different ways that people can, if you, what your goal is, is to actually increase wellness in everyone, right. There's little ways of doing that. You know, if you have your kid in Taekwondo, ask if they've, and if you can afford it, ask if they have a scholarship program, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they've got a, a, a place where if you donate $10 extra per month on top of your fees. Maybe that's not a huge difference for you, but maybe that goes into a pot and it helps however many kids who otherwise wouldn't have access, right. Be able to do that. Um, I mean, I can tell you that I, the, the only reason why I learned how to ski as a kid was because my elementary school had a fund for kids just like me to pay for when our school trip went skiing right? Otherwise I couldn't have gone. So I think sometimes it seems really hard and, you know, we get very finger pointy around, they should be doing better. But ultimately, if you are someone who has that kind of access, has that kind of privilege, maybe has a little bit of time, a little bit of extra resources that you might be able to give to someone who genuinely doesn't have it. Maybe that's the change that it might take. Maybe that's the thing that would help. Yeah. Bada I feel bang, like that sounded like really nicely. And-
1: <laughs> <Scene>. Yeah, <laughs> Awesome. This was great. Um, ladies, I suspected that it was going to be, but I think this kind of conversation is, are the especially important conversations for us three white ladies to be having right now.
0: <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. How to increase compassion. And really, you know, if you feel really strongly, you could just go get some carrots and start handing them out to random people. See who accepts them. Just say Mm. more fruits and vegetables. This is for you.
2: Thanks so much for listening to Meet Me in the Middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.